Welcome to HivriaCast, the podcast where I, Alad Nehrai, speak with some fascinating and incredible creative Jews. Hello, uh, welcome to HivriaCast episode, oh my gosh, I'm always forgetting it, um, but uh, it doesn't matter because it's the person that we have on is awesome and special, Eden Perlstein, welcome. Hello, thank you. Uh, Eden, also known as E-Prime, also known as the guy in Darshan, <laughs> also the rapper in Darshan, yeah. also known as, what else are you known as? Um, <laughs> Strange, quiet dude in the back of your shul. <laughs> um, yeah, I've seen that in action. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Olam's Abba, Hani Trugman's husband. Oh, there you go. Beautiful. Um, Any other art-related uh, ones? <laughs> art-related ones. E-Prime, Darshan. Um, sometimes I'll sit in with Zion 80. Sometimes oh. I'll sit in with Jamie Saft and the new Zion trio. Um, sometimes I'll sit in with, uh, Pharaoh's daughter. Um, what else? Uh, starting to work with, um, Tom Haviv and the Kaf Collective, which is a poetry and literature collective, um, in Brooklyn. Are you doing something like political as well? I forgot. I thought I saw something from you. Isn't that you? Um, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> a lot of my music has political over and under tones to it. But I thought it was like a specifically, yeah, I'm totally blanking on it, but. The personal is political a lot. We're getting real already. Yeah. Just, go, just, just go into the bathroom, dude. <laughs> Which door uh, are you walking uh, in? Wow. Wow. Mm-hmm. We're, we're getting, this mm-hmm. is, I didn't realize it was going to be that kind of podcast. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this, is, <laughs> this is talk radio. Yeah. <laughs> um, Okay, cool. That's awesome. I'm, I love hearing all the stuff you do. Are you still are in? Are you um, like mainly invested in your Darshan work as opposed to like your E Prime? Oh, ruthless identity? cosmopolitans. Forgot about the ruthless. That's the co- one. There you yes, go. There, there we yeah, go. Yeah, yeah. I, knew ah. it. I thought I was going crazy. No, no, no. That's the new. That's the new project um, yeah. with John Madoff and um, some other conspirators, um, <laughs> and just. S- launched that, started writing the songs pretty much um, right on the heels, kind of in direct response to what happened in Charlottesville. Right. And um, as we were talking about before we started recording, I am um, really um, absent from social media. Hmm. Um, so uh, after, I don't know, six or eight months since January 20th, <laughs> 2000 whatever <laughs> um it has Did something happened it, it's just been building you uh-huh. know um and uh just kind of like glued to my tiny palm screen and um just being fogwad with uh you know force fed just the hideous day minute by minute you know basically and um and i i'm not one to you know post a bunch of thoughts as they're happening or you know, I rate screams digitally communicated or whatever, <laughs> but I am thinking, um, I am digesting, I am pulling my fingernails out. Yeah. Um, and, um, so after Charlottesville, it just kind of like, you know, it, it I, I hit the tipping point and, uh, wrote a pretty aggressive song, um, oh, wow. in response and, Pretty much immediately called John Madoff and and Shanir Blumenkrantz, uh, the bassist, 
and uh, who who plays with uh, Darshan, as well as a million other groups like mm. Yemen Blues and Ciro oh, Baptista's cool. Banquet of the Spirits and a billion John Zorn projects. Um, so I called them and I was like, yeah, I think I just opened up a new portal here. This is kind of, it, wow. it, it's aggressive. I'm calling it middle finger music. <laughs> um, <Wow>. Like <laughs> it's... I need a place to say these things and a, and, and a place to work, you know, exercise these demons. Um, you guys kind of popped up in my head aesthetically when I started writing this stuff. Are you guys interested? And they were both like, bleep. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we're feeling the same way. We need, we need to, you know, we need, we need noise. Um, we need to make some noise to counteract the noise. Um, and uh, so that has felt awesome and really good and, and um, has given me kind of a whole other avenue to express and explore um parts of myself um that in certain ways have been kind of like dormant and don't fit with the like sing a niggin and it'll all be okay <laughs> kind of um approach to jewish culture um and uh which is awesome like... and i need that i need to feel okay a lot so i right. sing a lot of niggin but um this was like i need to you know there's a lot of screaming um, and a lot of like thing noise that's difficult to listen to. Mm. Um, and, uh, but it feels awesome. And, uh, we played a couple shows and the words, the two words that come up most often from audience members are shocked and cathartic. Um, and wow. I was talking to somebody, uh, a friend of mine in Portland who I was telling about the project and he's like, I know I was just having a conversation with my girlfriend and she's like, where's all the angry music? Oh, wow. And I was like, yeah, Mumford and Sons is not going to cut it. Like, <laughs> Edward Sharp and the Magnetic Zeros are awesome, but, like, <laughs> F a picnic. Like, right. I'm not trying to feel good right now. Like, yeah. where's, where's, where's the scream? Where, where's the primal scream therapy, you know? You know what that reminds me of? Is like, um, did you catch the tri Tribe Called Quest uh, performance? In the Grammys, like right, it was like really shortly after the election. I I didn't, but I know their new album is amazing. Right, so is that what's the song that they do? Um, I forgot the name of the song, but it was like they did, like it was kind of a combination. It was it was just like an unapologetically strong and angry yeah. piece of like performance and yeah. And it was funny because the sound wasn't great, so I had no clue exactly what they were saying. Uh -huh. But it was so powerful, and yeah. you could just feel it. And right. and I remember people kind of complaining that for the rest of that show, like even though the show was political, like that was the only one that was like powerful. And I mm -hmm. thought, you know, and I was thinking about why that might be with them in particular. Obviously, because they I've always spoken up about it, but it's also because their world that they come from has been. They've they're used to having to deal with that, whereas sure. others are like, you know, we're at least for me, I know, like I didn't yeah. have, like, or at least I felt like I didn't have to deal mm. with those emotions yeah. and and that anger and that this and that, yeah, like that, like others are doing injustice and right. it's affecting, you know, yeah. Um, anyway, point being, like, I I I totally I'm a, it was because the reason that it, it stood out to me was the anger the. Yeah. Productive anger. Productive anger. Yeah. hundred yeah. percent. I mean, for me, like that was, I mean, that's almost like productive anger is a kind of a good way to sum up, like almost like the cornerstone of my creativity from when mm. I was young and really shaped my aesthetic and my whole kind of, er, you know, 
the urge to create and to express myself mm. um, that I think, interestingly enough, for various reasons, I think, was channeled or tempered or integrated into something larger when I started going through a process of, you know, what some people might call chuva. I don't really mm. like that term, honestly, because um, I feel like there's such a valuative teleology of like, this is where you're supposed to be. And when you're <laughs> not there, you need to return here. This is where you're always returning to, which I actually so, think is total BS. So what would, how would you uh, term it? Um, I mean, for me, it was um, some sort of a process of um, reintegration or reclamation of something that was always rightfully mine. Um, but um, like, A, nobody's a ball chuva. That's just like total crap because right. like ball means master yeah so like anybody not? that says they're a ball chuva is like davka not a ball chuva <laughs> um so i don't know if that was kind of like a false congratulatory um way to speak about somebody who's gone through that process which i think is nice maybe on the part of the people who see themselves within the institutional framework to which someone is returning right but i also think it's pretty condescending um and um, it makes it sound like there's like an end to the journey, which if mm. you're a serious Jew, in my opinion, is also total BS. Mm. Um, and, um, and it also makes it feel like it's like a process that only certain people need to go through. Um, and um, like, where do you go if you were from, from birth? Where do you return to? Right. Because I'm personally, I'm more interested in the process of returning than to where one is returning to. So right, right. one also needs to go, th in my opinion, through a process of chuva. And I don't mean like personal chuva on Yom Kippur, right. like which is like... Kabbalistic chuva, like Like existential yourself. chuva, yeah. 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 Like, um, and, and that means even if you got your hair cut at three and licked the honey off the letters and started wearing a tzitzit katan, like, mm -hmm. where do you go? You know, where, I mean, this, I've asked this to, to some people kind of in, in Crown Heights that uh, go, go, you know, at different times when they were going through different processes and we had different life experiences, but essentially, and I'm sure I'll just get like slapped around by a billion rabbis, um, for saying something like this. Don't but, worry, we, a billion rabbis don't listen to this podcast. <laughs> awesome. Baruch Hashem. Um, but, uh, you know, if you take Lech Lecha seriously, mm -hmm. Like, what do you do if you're from, from birth? Mm. How do you leave your father's house? How do you smash your father's idols? Wow. I'm personally into idol smashing. <laughs> so, you know, it's like, you know, your daddy's got some. I don't, wow. I don't care what, what size Borsalino or <laughs> Shetel he wears. Um, it goes back to the bathroom discussion. Exactly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so... It's interesting. So it's interesting to hear all that context then in relation to what you were talking about, which was that as you were uh, reclaiming the part of you that you always owned, right? I'm trying to say instead of Balchuva. Yes. Um, right. <laughs> uh, when you were going through that process. As I started reading Jewish books. <laughs> <laughs> right? I started doing things like a little bit more Jewish. Yeah. So yeah. it's like um, 
Jewing out. Some people call it out. Jewing out. Yeah. Right, right. It's like, so that's what my non-Jewish friends call it. They're like, <laughs> oh, man, you are Jewing the F out right now, dog. What is up with you? <laughs> that's great. You're getting so into this. <laughs> uh, and it's funny because then you see someone else will be looking at it and be like, oh, that's not Jewish enough. You know? Oh, of course. Yeah. We're, none of us are Jewish enough, that's right. for sure. Right. So, and then we're also all too Jewish. Right, exactly. <laughs> so, so you're saying that like going through that process tempered you. Uh, or tempered, it tempered the expression. that aspect of right. of of my kind of inner psychic structure. I think for a lot of really healthy reasons, you know, um, right. reading a lot of Hasidus and and um, and Kabbalah and even just like Musser and stuff like that, and like learning about right. communication, you know, deeper aspects of communication and like how to communicate and be sensitive to not just what I want to say, but to how somebody's able to receive it. Um, and, you know, um, a lot of Rebbe Nachman and talking about transforming a lot of those really dark and negative feelings and finding light within them and all of these things and stuff that was like, very, you know, pretty life saving and life altering for me. Um, but I, th- so that's all on kind of like a theoretical or, you know, inner panemius realm, mm-hmm. theoretical almost. Um, but I think s- culturally, the deeper I got into different Jewish communal settings, um, the, the the aesthetics, what was aesthetically appropriate, um, did not feel like there was a lot of space for that kind of like raw energy um, that I was able to tap into and circulate in different communities that I was a part of. Um, and so I... Um, you know, I once played at um, like a Jewish festival during Sukkot. Mm-hmm. Thousands of people there, all this stuff. And I did my thing, you know, which is like <laughs> fairly aggressive even when I... And I'm a pretty soft-spoken, nice guy, you know, but when I get up on the mic and I have things to say, whatever. Um, and somebody somebody afterwards that was part of the festival, this was like, I don't know, probably like eight years ago or something, maybe more. And they and, and they they, sit, they sat me down, they they sat across from me, they looked at me very earnestly and they said, you have very strong medicine. It might even be a bit too strong for this, for these people. Right. Which was basically... Well, that's a very a, diplomatic way of saying It's a very that. nice way of being like... <laughs> you don't belong wrong, here. Yeah, wrong, wrong, wrong venue, homie. Um, but I have had that feeling the deeper I've got into most Jewish cultural contexts. Right. Um, and so... I, like mainstream, in a sense, is that you mean like like an event, like yeah, know, at, yeah, at a JCC or something? Like yeah, that, right? yeah, yeah. An event at a JCC and um, and not like uh-huh. not even that mainstream. Just I think okay. as I left the West Coast and like the kind of underground arts and punk and hip hop world that I was right. um, living in, um, and got moved to the East coast and got more into like a totally different cultural set of Jewishness than I was used to. Um, yeah, whether it's a retreat center or like a shul or a JCC or whatever, like it, it, it's been a long process of being like, man, I just don't feel like what I'm doing is that appropriate for these settings or for these people, um, for whatever reason. Um, and 
after Charlottesville, I was just, and I had been, you know, very busy starting with the Darshan project and all this stuff. And even my, so, a lot of my earlier E prime stuff was like kind of bridging those worlds of, right. of the kind, you know, there, Jay Michelson wrote a review in the forward in 2011 about an album of mine that came out on K records called dope Stylevsky that followed an album that called wayward wonder Will that I put out with, uh, Eras, Sfar, and Shemspeed, and Modular Moods, and Why Love, and like that whole kind of like Jewish urban that was the first music. Time I, uh, heard you. Right. So that was like I moved to New York, hooked up with a Jewish label, started doing all this Jewish music stuff. I still had all my, you know, still the, you know, the epicenter of my creativity was on the West Coast in the Northwest and Olympia and with K Records and all this stuff. So I then followed that album with a record directed at the non Jewish market, but still with a lot of Jewish content and stuff. And, and Jay Michelson said, he said, this is e, e prime with this record is not bringing rap to the Jews. He's bringing Jewishness to rap. Hmm. And so a lot of my early solo work was doing that kind of stuff with Darshan. It got much more overtly kind of Jewish, so to speak. Like, let me try my hand at making music that could actually be in these settings that I find myself in, that I love to be in, that I want to contribute to and return um, the favor of what has what others have contributed that I've benefited from. So how do I how do I speak in a voice that can be heard in this context? Um, and I've been doing that for many many years. Over the years, Darshan is um, with Shir Yaakov and Basia Schechter and the different collaborations. Um, but after Charlottesville, I was just like, enough. I am not going to stop doing Darshan. Right. I'm going to in fact, redouble my efforts in those, in those veins and keep putting that stuff out there. But I also need to like reclaim this other part of myself, let this other part of myself speak. Um, you know, I was just applying for some grants with a Jewish organization for some cultural things. And I decided not to include ruthless cosmopolitans in the list of things that I would gladly receive money to do under the auspices of this kind of Jewish organizational cult, uh, grant um, structure. And because I just, I, I, I want that to be separate and not saying that I, I want lots of Jews to come to my shows. In fact, I would love to see shows put on by Jews that were much more open and receptive to a different kind of cultural aesthetic and, and sound experience and, and poetic expression than I often see in New York, um, outside of the avant-garde worlds, um, which is a really funny thing that in New York, I've noticed that I'll like go hang out with musicians at the stone and, you know, in kind of John Zorn's world and this whole thing. And like, none of them have heard of any of this stuff that's going on in Crown Heights or like <laughs> any of these from superstars or whatever. They're just right. like, I don't even know what you're talking about. <laughs> and then I walk around in Crown Heights and I'm like, yeah, I'm playing with this dude and I'm going to go see this show, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, this man. stuff that's like world renowned, like right. genre shifting, not just Jewish music, but like right. impactful and world cultural settings. And these people are just like, I have no idea what you're talking about. It's like, dude, this is like the best Jewish music <laughs> that's being made for two decades and it's happening a couple subway stops away, you have no idea. So like, again, this idea of just like these worlds that, how do you bridge these worlds? Yeah. It's you know? interesting. I was, so I had like so many thoughts while you were describing this stuff. Cause so firstly, like just, I just had a thought, like a realization, I think that like 
I was thinking about how, you know, like in politics, um, the more mainstream someone becomes, like, the more you have to learn that you have, like, different audiences and you have to balance that. And I feel like being a performer or a artist or whatever, um, when it comes to, like, mainstream Jewish audiences, like, you almost by definition have to become more and more of the like people pleasing sure. stuff, which is sure. whatever it is what it is. Yeah. But like, but, um, but what that does is if that becomes the only expression, because I think to a certain extent, what happens is we, uh, we've kind of created like, it's so much of the Jewish world is so monolithic and mm-hmm. in so many ways. So like, yeah. So, we've created these avenues like, and theoretically like we support Jewish like creativity and all these things. But the, the difficulty is like, and, I, and it's interesting because it's something I'm even balancing now myself, like as someone who's been so active politically and all yeah. these things, like how do you balance that without like the, the truth is that ultimately like we are beings, especially artists are beings of, I mean, everyone is a being of emotion. And so an artist, by definition, is 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 trying to tap into into their emotions, and when they're per- experiencing a particular emotion that is like pressing on them, it's healthy for them to express it. Right. However, they express it, and when anger is something that is like deeply, deeply affecting us, yeah. the healthiest thing we can do is express it artistically. Yeah. But it's hard if subject, you feel subject it to the rigors of craft. Right, exactly. Because it's like it's like, whereas most people, most the the impulse with art with uh, anger is to just let it out, but the, right. what art does is it's like this therapeutic thing where you you're forced to process it. Right, you're forced to. But like the difficulty is if you feel like you don't have an audience for that, or not only that, if you do it, like your audience will will abandon you or hate you or sure. whatever. Yeah, that's tough. Like, it and is. I think. We've yeah, kind of got ourselves in a bind in, to a certain extent when it comes to the Jewish world. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Well, there's there's a very thin avenue of aesthetics. I feel that the or that the institutional Jewish world is comfortable supporting, right. and ultimately, I think it's just how do I say this? It's 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 limiting the palette. Um, and cheating the Jewish community and the world um, out of the full expression that that we have to offer. Um, and I think, you know, there's a couple different responses. There's like the artist that is going to say, you know, like, yeah, I have all these other ways that I want to express myself, but like I need to make a living and these are the kinds of gigs that they're offering and these are the kinds of projects they'll support. Um, seems like these people really like kind of pedantic educational (laughs) artwork, um, that is easily curricularizable or whatever. Um, and, um, and so that's what I'm going to do. And I, I'm just going to kind of snuff out the other stuff. I'm just, you know, it's going to still be there, but I'm not. I'm not going to engage it artistically for some of the th- reasons that you just said. Like, a, there's not going to be an audience for it, mm-hmm. and or b, it's going to. Even if I do that independently, 
it could jeopardize everybody knows you apply for this or that everybody's checking your your facebook feed or whatever so like they see x y and z you did this with these but you know and so they're they're scared about about their the public image that they've curated and so they can't risk that coming you know that voice being heard um and then or 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 there's or there's people that say yeah i'm gonna do it and i'm 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 leaving behind my Jewish cultural projects because mm-hmm. it's too narrow of a sphere for me to express my full self. Um, and actually, outside of that realm, the world is is quite receptive um, to many different shades of of, of human emotion and experience. Um, yeah, it feels it, to me like the best artists tend to do that. I could be making a value judgment, but that, it seems that, to me... I think that's a generalization, but I, I've seen it happen a lot. I've seen it happen a lot, um, and it's unfortunate. And it's in, in a certain way, I would challenge the, the people with the purse strings and the, the institutional power and all of that stuff to... Art is risky, you know? Like, everybody forgets that most of the stuff that really made waves or that caused changes, whether it was socially or aesthetically or philosophically, would, like, fell on deaf ears when it was... Like, Rite of Spring by Stravinsky, people rioted. <laughs> they were like, we hate this. Yeah. And now it's Rite of Spring by Stravinsky. And I think that... I think it's po- I mean, mo- in most institutional settings, like it's just a dead end. So you're like, why even have this conversation? I think, to a certain extent, I I think it's possible that that there that that there are aspects of the Jewish communal or institutional world that are sophisticated and, and self reflective enough and macro culturally thinking enough where the question might have. Uh, at least a shot for consideration of how does a stable institution support instable but potentially fertile elements in its midst? Mm-hmm. It's interesting. Yeah, that seems to be a general discussion too, because like there's so many of these, like, uh, it's interesting. Like, there's this, um, I was literally just at a retreat for this, but mm-hmm. like these communities of meaning, right? yeah. like these micro communities that are popping up because. Yeah the monolithic institutions of like, like at least people feel like they're not being served by them. So yep. they create their own sure. things. And, um, and so the question like that was really pressing there. And I think is generally pressing, especially in the, actually in any religious setting, I think is like, is it possible for us to, to combine these unstable, right. But incredibly powerful and specific communities right. with our monolithic, like, Right. Top down way yeah. of working. And I think it's a big discussion because yeah. those feral communities or those feral projects, they got the juice. Right. You know what I'm saying? And, um, and, and, but even just the grant writing process is domesticating. Mm. You right. Know? Yeah. That's so, so true. how do you allow, right. if you value the feral element that's raw and exciting and new and unpredictable, and that's what, a lot of people are resonating with as 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 the institutional gatekeepers you're like oh whoa look at what they're doing they're getting all these numbers and attendance and interesting creative bubblings out of and all this stuff how do we how do we get some of that how do we how do we connect ourselves to some of that how do we 
how do we engage that? How do we support that? Um, what people will call like the growing edge, you know? Um, but how do you do that by not subsuming the growing edge into the static center? <laughs> that needs to be static and, and, right. and, and skeletal by design of its role in the organism, you right. know? But how, how do you do that? How do you, how do you, how do you bring the center to the periphery? Cause if you bring the periphery to the center, it's not the periphery anymore. So how, do, how does the center s- serve the wider culture by helping maintain a periphery, but also s- in a supportive way? It, I mean, it's kind of a conundrum. It's a communal koan. Um, but yeah. And I think that's like, it's both directly applicable and, an anal- and a metaphor, I think, for like the experience of being an artist, like where just forgetting like all the grant stuff, just like, what venues are available? What where right. is there a Jewish audience for this? Right. You know, and that sort of thing. Right. Um but I think like one of the things that I keep thinking about is like our job is like the peripheral people. Right. Is and artists is to create I I, I think at least like is to create those spaces. Like I, yeah. I think that's for the sure. next step, you know, is like what you're doing with your thing. You're like, I don't even care. Like yeah. I'm gonna just make a space like right. for this. Yeah. And the you know, some people will like it, some people won't, but like eventually if I keep doing it, right. like the right people will come. I yeah. Think, I, I, I feel like that. And I think that's kind of, I, it feels to me like that's what you might be saying about your, your project. Like, yeah. I, I mean, that's been, I mean, really that's been one of my MOs for really, you know, in, in Olympia and, and in my travels, mm-hmm. it's always been a like, this doesn't exist. Well, somebody's just got to do it. Right. You know, exactly. somebody's got to hit the street and get their hands dirty and just create something and whatever. It's not glamorous. There's no, there's really not much support for it or whatever, but it's, to me, that's where exciting things can happen. It's also super tiring and <laughs> it's like burnout central. Um, and especially the older, the older you get, you know, like I'm, all, I'm a 38 year old rapper, dude. I'm like what? <laughs> How dumb am I? You know, like I have a kid, I have a dude, family. Eminem just put out a new album, you know, <laughs> which is like. <laughs> Me and him are, are playing on quite different uh, fields. <laughs> I'm just saying he's like, seen as an old dude now you know he, he, is. he was he known is. for being like that young angry yeah it's whatever true. it's true now he's an old angry and dude. he's like o- owning his oldness yeah you know? well hip-hop and in a lot of ways hip-hop is 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 has elements of it that are growing up right, right. um it's really cool yeah it's in, it's it's interesting um I don't like, are the kids still listening? Do the kids like the roots? I don't know. <laughs> Do the kids like Eminem? I don't know. Like there's enough middle aged right. people that have all grown up listening to him and thinks he, and know he's a genius that like, right. you know, he still gets press and, and he's amazing obviously. Right. But you know, um, I don't, I don't know if like 15 year olds are listening to that. Like, I don't know what they're listening to, to be honest, right. you know, but, uh, as far as like perpetually remaining on the periphery, like it is it's it's difficult, you know. It it is, yeah. it is you're you get weather beaten, you know. You get that kind of like yeah. far away look in your eye <laughs> um, to I keep it up. You. Because look, yeah. like it's it's a life it's it's a life commitment, you know. And yeah. my wife had to be on board, right? Because like I could do all kinds of things that would probably 
be much more marketable and much more likely to please many more people and get me a lot more support and whatever. Um, and I, if it comes down to that, I'd just rather do something else. You know, it's like, that's, I don't need to be a professional artist that bad. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, you could um, just make stuff and no one could live, whatever. Yeah, exactly. At least you get to do it. Exactly. And go get a a steady job, like whatever. Um, get, I'll have less ulcers. (laughs) But, um, and, and I think that there was something about that, reclamation, tshuva, reading Jewish books, Jewing out process in which I was, and and moving to New York and all of these things, like entering into these communities of which I really didn't know where the center or the periphery was Mm. because it was also new to me in so many ways from, from my past um, experience. So it was, it was hard to, I wasn't able to stake out my territory, so to speak, because I didn't know where I was. I didn't know where where was <laughs> you know yeah. um and so after now i've lived in new york for almost for 10 or 11 years yeah. and i've you know been through the ups and downs of somebody that allows themselves to go through ups and downs in the process of jewing out froming out frying out whatever um and so i f- kind of feel like after like fifth you know 10 15 years i'm like finally able to start being like all right <laughs> yeah now what do I really want to say? What, 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 what do I want to do? That's so funny. I've been yeah. listening a lot, guys, and right. I can't take another Devar Torah. I just can't take it. <laughs> it's so funny. When we started Rio, we like, we like, Dafka, we said to each other, like, we're never going to have a Devar Torah on Hebrew. Like, we're just not going to do it. <laughs> not that we're, not that the Devar Torah itself is, a bad thing, but it's like no, it's a great thing. That's your only avenue of expression. Like, yeah, it's that's that's a monolithic Jewish cultural form of expression that has a really built-in audience, right? You know, I mean, honestly, on a certain level, like the the to be a publicly expressive person within a self-identified, like strongly Jewish cultural setting, Mm -hmm. the pull to become a rabbi is almost like. Uh, unavoidable and like very hard to fight against because you're like, well, that's the built-in audience. Yeah, that's the setting you want. You want you want people to listen to what you have to say every week. Mm. Want to write a newsletter that people are going to read. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. <laughs> like, no, I hear you. Um, you want a team of people around you trying to get people to come to a place that you're going to express yourself. Like. That's the rap, that's the role. That's the pop star in in our midst. Especially especially when it comes if we're talking about like central institutions working with Yes, Yes, 100%. If you notice like the when you when you look at like these uh institutions that are trying to do quote unquote like innovative yeah, projects like it's like become this whole thing right. in the funding world. Oh yeah, the innovative. Right. So like that whole thing like you can tell that they're very much more comfortable with funding innovative shuls, synagogues, you know, like oh, as opposed to like just something innovative. Yeah. <laughs> you know, right. like, not right. to, again, not to put down like innovative shuls, but like, yeah. but I think it's, it's like what you're talking about is like very powerful because I think it's culturally monolithic a hundred percent. And like, and, and, I've had people that are rabbis and that are really involved in, in, in these more mainstream settings that have been like, oh, what are you doing? And I say, what I'm doing? They're like, oh, you're not going to ra- rabbinic school. Thank God. Like, don't become a rabbi. Really? They say that to you? Yeah. Be- and, and, and I hear it because on a certain level, it's just like that's 
it's for, for and, and obviously not every artist is like, oh, I must become a rabbi. But on a certain level, like if you start getting seriously interested in Jewish text, content, history, thought, community on these levels, like right. that's a supported role in which you're you're supported to continue learning and go very deep and speak in these languages. That's an acceptable place to speak using the levushim of these overtly Jewish tropes and mm-hmm. symbols and stories. Whereas culturally it's like as an artist you're just you're you're totally peripheral. Even if you're a successful one, you're still you're still peripheral within the the cultural system and structure. Um, and then trying to interface with the wider world, it's like you're very, 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 very peripheral, the more overtly Jewish the levushim of your expression is. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think it's, it, it's, it's difficult to maintain. How do you maintain that, that periphery, the feral quality that so many people, I mean, like you said, I, I've, I think I've been to this same retreat that you're going on. It's like... Oh, yeah acknowledging and these peripheral communities that are like doing new, exciting and tapped in things. Right. But how do you, how do you engage them without structurally changing what they're doing and thereby siphoning off that raw power and energy that initially got you to notice them in the first place? Yeah. I don't know, (laughs) but I raised the question, you know, and I, I, I I raised the challenge to the, to the Jewish institutional world. Yeah. And I think like also, I mean, I think the challenge is also for the peripheral people. Like, are you, what do you, are you going to play this game? You know? Yeah. How are you going to, whether you're an artist or running an organization, like, are you, and and there's no there's no one answer I for think. sure. But no. like, but I think it's an urgent question. I think that we're all like kind of facing. And I think yeah, it's interesting because now like you know I'm trying to take Hivria to the next level sure. and all this stuff. And like I there's nothing I want more than to work full time on Hivria. And like, yeah. And actually, what's it's so funny about what you said was um my my mentor uh, Brad Hirschfield who mm-hmm. is the president here at Klal he uh, he recommended that I get Smicha, but this is this is the yeah so this is the interesting part wait, 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 let me finish the story so uh he goes and now we're gonna cut for a break <laughs> so he goes um <laughs> so he goes um i actually it was, you got I, misquoted on your own podcast dude <laughs> <laughs> so he goes um you like you are already a rabbi like what you're doing is like what rabbis do and like you know, you're in so many ways, whatever he was talking about. And he was saying like, you know, Reb Zalman actually used to give like creative forms of smicha. Right. And like, whatever, it was very interesting. I actually and, got smicha from Reb Zalman as a ganav. Really? Yep. As a ganav? Mm-hmm. <laughs> as, a, as a thief? Or mm-hmm. I just wanted to, for the audience. Yeah, as a thief. What, how did that work out? What's what's the story behind that? Well, you you finish yours first. Okay, so mine was uh, I spoke. That's that's amazing. I'm so excited about that. So uh, he he was like, find a rabbi, like an Orthodox rabbi that you like are in line with, and you know, like tell him like, you know, I'm a master of of these things, like, and I want to get smicha in these things. You yeah, know? not like I'm gonna go and learn how to be a rabbi. Like, right, I'm gonna go to YU and whatever. Like, yeah, yeah. Um, and 
Um, so I went to actually my rabbi at Kolei Sorel, like mm-hmm. uh, Sam, and uh, goes uh, and I guess not just, Rabbi Schwartz, not so oh, <laughs> I didn't know him until <laughs> until last week. <laughs> so uh, that's actually a good call. But anyway, so so he. Um, I think it's a safer bet with Sam for whatever you're going for. <laughs> right. Oh, you're saying right, right. Uh, I'm saying that anyway. Um, but yeah, so he he um, told he I, like so I told him like you know. Kind of based off of what Brad was telling me, like, you know, Kahila, like build, build, building community. Uh, what was the other one? Oh, uh, Magid, mm-hmm. you know, and then and then Sam was like, he was on board. And and then he was like, you know, you, I kind of felt like you need a third one. So he, th- he threw in like truth telling. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was like, OK, that's a uh, heavy. But um, but it was kind of it was it was interesting because I remember. Uh, feeling like a psychological change happened mm. from that because it was like I was giving myself that institutional validation yeah. that I'd been looking for, mm. but you know, without the institutions in a sense. Right. And um, and I thought that was fascinating to me psychologically. You know, just looking at that. Yeah. Because it was kind of like an attempt, and I don't know, successful or not, to 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 bridge that. Like. Yeah. Yes, like rabbi, being a rabbi is is like a powerful thing, or getting smicha, or whatever. Yep. But what is what does that mean really? Like, are yeah. we just trying to force ourselves into a certain thing? Well, I, I think no. what you bring up about Reb Zalman, I mean, what I think was so interesting and and um, also feral about what Reb Zalman was doing was Davka not giving people smicha as a rabbi. <laughs> Interesting. It's not go become a rabbi right. and we'll give you these wanked out smichas. It's like, oh, whoa, you're like a master of right. holy drumming. I'm going to give you smicha as a holy drummer. Wow. That's you really know? cool. I'm going to give you smicha as these different, you know, these different things that were, and, and this directly combats this monolithic yeah. cultural structure, which is that the Jewish community needs more than just rabbis, especially mm-hmm. because rabbis are stretched so thin these days. Right. And these like, I mean, like they have, they have the crappiest job out there. They're like <laughs> family counselor, community educator, school principal, public interface, um, board uh, whipping person, you know, just like, <laughs> it's like crazy. The amount of, they're so, they're stretched so thin. It's right. like incredible. And, and, um, wow. That's and they have to play so many different roles. It's intense, you know? Right. But I think what Reb Zalman, if I may, what, you know, my interpretation of what he was doing was like, there's all the, a healthy Jewish communal structure has all of these different roles being played not this one role that's like the only way to get a podium (laughs) that's actually that's like monoculture that's actually extremely unhealthy yeah and so actually what we need is like a more amazonian model which is like there's all these plants and animals Mm -hmm. and they all are serving these different purposes so why rabbinify everything like actually davka that's exactly what we shouldn't be doing you should actually not davka be a rabbi you should get smicha as a bal kahila or like whatever these things that that you have developed and that you have like 
superpowers in, those are the things that should be recognized. Not saying you're uh, you're now um, uh, monopolized under this one heading that is the only acceptable social role for anybody to play that anybody will listen to, but you have these like, Oh, but you got a minor in community building. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Or right. you you have an interest in this thing. It's like, no, no, no. This is what I do. You're not a rabbi. Right. You're this. That's interesting. Because a rabbi, it, the 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 um the resistance to seeing a rabbi as actually like a very specific role, I think, is doing damage to this very dynamic. Because right. then it says, it then gives license to communities to demand that rabbis do everything. I just think that's a bad model. It also, I think, gives license to rabbis who... To try to do everything, right, even to, when they're not good at it. Right. To think, like, and I noticed this, I think yeah, one of the things I've point. noticed about this the most yeah. is topics um, relating to things that require, like, really require expertise. Like, things mm. like sexual abuse, like how to deal with, um, yeah. like, building policy around that, like, yeah. for an institution. And, like, Stuff like, um, uh, like advice when it comes to like psychological yes. stuff, like they just take on this, and, and especially, uh, you know, it's it's just on my mind right now because sure. someone spoke about it to me yesterday. But I'm just gonna call it out. Yeah, um, Manus Friedman, like these guru roles where they claim to have answers to, to things every, like to everything, right? It gives so it's like on the one hand, the people that have it in perspective, it overwhelms them and maybe consumes them, and right. it's very unhealthy. Then there are the people who think that that role that we've, this mythical, right. unrealistic, like completely beyond reality role right. that we've created is real. Right. And like that, in my mind, is like even more dangerous. Because yeah, I hear that. Because the followers buy into it. And it's, right. It's, we've created gurus. Like right. we've created like the unhealthy form of a guru. Like, yeah. Ugh, it really disturbs me, actually. Yeah. Yeah. So I think... But so I love what you're saying also because sorry, just one more thing is that I um I've I've been very resistant to saying like calling myself Rabbi God for like Rabbi Nahari or anything. Yeah. <laughs> because um like for example I was on for the first time I was on like national TV recently for yeah. for a thing. And it was specifically as like a Jewish person I was yeah. kind of going on. And I was like sitting there thinking because they asked how they wanted to, how I would like to be introduced. Yeah. And, I, and it was the first time when I really wondered, like, should I come on yeah. to this? Like, because it's like a national audience. Like, yeah. should I be coming on as a rabbi? So, what'd you do? I, I like wrote rabbi, the Laden Harai, and then I stared at it. And I was just like, kind of trying, and I was just like, I deleted it. I was just like, no, this is no, this is no good. <laughs> mm. I think a part of it was just like a, a, a knee jerk thing, but I think, I mean, a, uh, uh, what's it called? Like a, there was a gut thing mm-hmm. going on there, like, which was like, this doesn't feel right to me. Mm. But I think it was, I think part of, like, I think what you did just now was like elucidate exactly and, and expand on, on that feeling that I had. Mm. Like that, no, I'm going there. Like the reason I'm, I'm like, I did that was, it, it is an internal thing, but I, I want to come out as like, really what I wanted pe- people to see me as was like this guy who was a Jewish activist. Like, I was right. going on there as a liberal right. Orthodox Jew. So, yeah. like, that's kind of how I wanted to Right. There are me. Jews with what to say that aren't rabbis. Right. <laughs> exactly. And that's exactly. awesome. Yeah. That's actually, the rabbis should be happy about that. Right. Yeah. That means they're, that they're doing their job. <laughs> and, and you don't want everybody to become... I often say it's like, there's more rabbis than Jews at this point. 
Wow. It's like, uh, yeah, reminds me of like when I was in, like back before the crash and everything. I remember like I grew up in a very, um, like a very, uh, what's it called? Like secular Jewish, like it was very Jewish, the Mm -hmm. community, but it was also very secular. Mm -hmm. And um, I remember like everyone was like, kind of deciding whether they're going to be a lawyer or a doctor. Like, those right. were the options. It was like, right. And it kind of just felt like just one day everyone's going to be a lawyer or a doctor <laughs> right. in this world, you know? Yeah. Um, but, yeah, like that. Same, same. Over here. Yeah, exactly. It's just, that's the point. A rabbi is a lawyer and a doctor. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. So, uh, so, yeah, so I think, like. But Reb Zalman was on to something with that. Yeah, no, I'm saying, yeah, exactly. And it took mega chutzpah. Like, what, yeah. what is that, you know? Right. So, um, wait, so why did you get the, the Ganev uh, uh, role? Well, for one thing, I stole the smicha. <laughs> you stole the smicha? <laughs> um, so that's one thing. How does that, what do you mean you stole the smicha? Exactly. Oh, there we go. Um, <laughs> so it was, Reb Zalman used to do Shebuot at mm-hmm. uh, Elat Chaim and Isabella Friedman for many years. And the last few years of his life, um, I, me and my wife went up there to, to be with him. Um, and I had studied a lot of his teachings and studied with many people that had been impacted by him very closely and deeply, but I'd never really gotten to spend so I'd never met him. I'd never, in, until I started going to these Shavuot retreats. Um, and it was his last Shavuot. Yeah. And I was tasked with basically kind of walking him around and carrying his oxygen tank and helping him get seated and making wow. sure he wasn't like hounded by people all the time. Wow. Um, so I got to spend some nice time with him and, um, he was, had been, um, and was very close with Shir Yaakov, hmm. who I had begun the Darshan project with. Um, and we were both up there at the same time. And our friend Segula, Adam Sher, who um, is the director up at Isabella Friedman, set up basically like a private show for Reb Zalman during our time up at Isabella Friedman. So we went to his room, essentially, and he sat in a chair, and me and Shir Yaakov sat across from him. And I think Segula was there, and my wife Hani was there. And I think um, Reb Zalman's wife Eve was also there, um, kind of like sitting on the bed or something like this. But it was really just like kind of how I'm sitting across from you. It's like Reb Zalman sitting right there, Shears there with his acoustic guitar, and me and him are sitting in these chairs. And it was like um, a concert for an audience of one, um, and that one happened to be Reb Zalman. So we begin playing some of our earlier material that's on the album Deeper and Higher. I remember we played Orzarua, um, Before Darkness, which is based on uh, Orzarua, and um, and I'm Here, which is like a Kabbalistic story of Kol Isha, a, a woman's voice, and, and kind of not just a woman's voice, but women's voices, and the Shekhinah in exile, and her imminent return. And, um, and among some others. And at some point in between songs, he just looked at me and he said, you're a real Ganev. 
Wow. It was the first thing he had said. We played a couple of songs, and wow. he's got his eyes closed, rolled back in his head. Mm-hmm. He's just vibing on the music and the poetry, you know? And he just opens his eyes, and he looks at me and says, you're a real Ghanav. I was like, oh, my gosh. Like, <laughs> what does that mean? You know, like, that could go in a lot of directions, <laughs> most of them really negative. <laughs> so I'm just like, hey, hey. Um, and then he, and he gave a nice pregnant pause, like a real Rebbe. <laughs> yeah, right. Like a real Rebbe should. Let me, let me stir a little bit. Right. And he said, you're stealing your way into people's hearts because people's hearts are always open to beauty. Wow. And I was just like, oh, you just gave me the definition of what a sacred artist is does and in one sentence without saying that's what I, i'm not i'm not gonna quote this and now i'm gonna mm. talk about this it's just one dart yeah that hit the bullseye you're stealing your way into people's hearts because people's hearts are always open to beauty wow. i was like okay so after that then we continued playing and and spent the rest of sh- of the weekend with him and and that was and I was there the morning that he fell ill with the illness that eventually took his life a, f- a number of weeks later. Wow. Um and we were you know we were eating chopped liver and and making lahayams at like 10 in the morning and and I was learn I was reading I I got to read him as he was kind of like fading in and out and 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 some people were on the phone with his doctors. What are we doing? I had brought his translation of the Psalms into English that had just been published. And I said, do you want me to read you your translation of the Psalms? He said, yeah. And he would just like, you know, 16. I'd I'd read the Psalm and he has his eyes closed. Then he'd just call out another number. I'm like, I'm reading, this this is an intense poetry reading. I'm like reading Reb Zalman's own writing to him as we're like on the phone with his doctors figuring out what's what's going to happen um but suffice it to say that after that i now say that i got smicha from reb zalman as a ganav even though he did not say i am giving you smicha as a ganav because what kind of ganav would i be if i didn't steal the smicha from reb zalman for being a ganav that he didn't know he was giving me so that's my stolen smicha story. Oh my god, a, that is uh, amazing! As a holy thief. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Wow, that is amazing. There's holy beggars and holy thieves. Yeah. I am of the holy thief variety. That's amazing. Wow. So that's my smicha. That story just. So like, am I going to get a rabbinic smicha? Like, why would I ever do that? I got ganav smicha. <laughs> <laughs> you gave it to you. You took it. I love that. So, um, that, that that was a yeah that was wow. it was an amazing amazing period to to spend with him. Wow. Okay. Well, there's I'm like recovering from that. Um, <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> um, there's so much there. I think I'm trying to think what I was going to say about um, this. I you know what I thought was interesting though, like one of the other advantages of this like smicha, this creative smicha idea is that it helps not just does it give you like some feeling of confidence maybe or but i think it's there's something about verbalizing what you are like and what you mastered and mm-hmm. and what you like your mission is yeah of, like 
Because I, I, I think it's more than what you master. It's like, what, what is my mission, yeah. you know, in the world? Sure. And, yeah, not only what you have accomplished, but what you are working on accomplishing. Right, exactly. Yeah. And, like, so for me, like, hearing those three things, and it was funny, like, hearing the truth-telling one, because I was like, that, it really hit me, uh, that one, because I was like, it sounds, <laughs> like, a little arrogant, but I think what I, I, I do really believe in kind of, like, this uncompromising way of expressing myself to like, yeah. so that even, and when, you're aspiring to that more and more through your writing. Right, you exactly. like, you're going, I mean, you reflect upon it in your own articles. Right, right. Exactly. And that like, like, it's so funny, like hearing these stories of, um, uh, I'm just going to say Balichuva because it's easier. Yeah, sure. <laughs> short, short, shorthand. <laughs> shorthand. Yeah. Sorry to short circuit that. No, that, no worries. That um, whole, uh, <laughs> no worries at all. It's good. I love it. Um, but it's so interesting to hear these stories, like, because it's, I obviously so identify with it. Like, mm-hmm. this, like, oh, like, I'm this one thing. I figured it out. And then, like, if you are honest with yourself, I think 99% of the people that have said that to themselves are not, like, where they want to be. Right. You know, ultimately, whether it's a minor thing or a major thing. Sure. Um, or for most people, many things, you know. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah. So I think, um, kind of like learning it's like I had to kind of like re like like you're saying you you're having to like relearn the anger thing right mm-hmm. like I think for me it's very similar like relearning that idea that it's some like that maybe my role is is to uh, of among others is to just uh, you know try to speak truth to especially to people in power like just yeah. try to even if there are consequences, if they're this or that, like yeah. just, and so I think when I, when that, when I heard that, it was just, and like, that came from the rabbi. Right. Exactly. And I think that was, what was so which is even more validating. Right. Exactly. You're like, Oh, whoa, this is what, the that's one, one thing actually, actually what I, one idea that I'm having while we're talking about is like these kind of like non rabbinic smichas. I feel like they offer an opportunity also to really shift a power dynamic in that, like, Ultimately, what is a smicha? Like, mm. it's your community acknowledging your role within it mm. and articulating it to you and letting you know that they see it and, and so you can continue to refine your performance of it. Mm. And, you know, and, 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 it's, and, it's, and both of you are kind of, you and the community are both getting clarity on, like, yeah. what do they see... Who do they see when they look at you? Right. That's that could really be informative for you. Right. Who do you want to be? What's your aspiration, mm. aspirational tra- trajectory? That could also be informative for, for them. And like, mm. I'm almost just imagining like, I've never been to a Hevria Creative for bringing or what, whatever you have, uh, <laughs> these gatherings. But I'm imagining in the Hevria community, like maybe there's an exercise of like, Everybody gets smicha in something. Oh wow, that's intense! Right? Everybody, everybody <laughs> is aspiring towards or has mastered something, and the ability for us to all see wow. each other for who we are is a gift that we can give to members of our own community. Right. Um, and then, and then there's areas of accountability. Then once those things have been acknowledged, right? That's like your... or whatever. Um, but. Um, but it's, it's like you don't go to a rabbinic school. Right. You go to your community. What, what do you guys, 
who do you see? <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Um, or I'm asking to be seen in this way. How am I there yet, guys? Mm. What do I need to work on? Mm. I'm working on, I want, I'm, I'm working towards this smicha. <laughs> but without you, it's meaningless. Yeah. You know, like there's this story, I, I forget which Rebbe said it because my mind doesn't work that, that, that way. Um, but like somebody, a chassid came to this Rebbe and said, I had a dream that I was a Rebbe and in my dream I had like thousands of followers. He's like, well, how many do you have when you woke up? It's like, well, then you're not a Rebbe. Cute dream. Because that's what a real smicha is. It's like when people, people acknowledge that. And they say, we see you as this. Wow. That's a real smicha. Hmm. That's cool. I like that. Which is why I love that that came from the rabbi, that last one, which is one that you might not even claim for yourself. Right. Because you're saying, oh, maybe that's too arrogant. Who am I to say that I'm doing this? Like, what? But it's like, those are the very kinds of things that, like, we might be doing and we're not even aware of it because we wouldn't even allow ourselves to, like, shine that bright of a light on on our own. Right hideous like crippled ego you know <laughs> and yeah i mean i think it reminds me of also like what reb zalman said about you like just that he's so perfectly yeah i would never go around summing that up <laughs> that, oh, <I'm, laughs> i steal expose them to beauty this is what i'm doing <laughs> <laughs> but it's like that really ultimately that's the gift of smicha right. of getting it and uh, that we have to give to others wow the writers in Hevria that you work with, like mm. calling each one up and say, I'm recognizing your superpower mm. in this regard. I mm. want to like articulate that, acknowledge it so you can claim that and grow into it even more. That acknowledgement, like you're saying, it's a hu- it, it causes a shift. It's a, it's a it real, really does. it's a real charge that's transmitted. Wow. This is good. We, we just did an hour, and I'm like, all right. Oh, let's... man. Yeah, I got to get home. Um, <laughs> do you want to uh, you want to plug anything while you uh, oh, got here? Yes. Um, new Darshan album. Oh, out we didn't even talk on... about that. It was, it, I just want to say before you get into it, I just want to say that I when I listened, when I hung out with Basia, I stupidly didn't listen to the album, but I felt like I can do Chuva because you're coming in, and I, I listened to it, and I loved it so much. So Thank anyone you. listening... Anyway, go ahead. But I to, to give the info, but I just want people to know it's incredible. Thank, thank you. Um, new Darshan album out on Chant Records um, called Raza. Um, you can pick it up anywhere, um, iTunes, Amazon. Go to Bandcamp if you want a hard copy. Um, Darshan also has a show next uh, on Wednesday, March 21st, at a venue called Drome in the East Village, 85 Avenue A, um, it's going to be an awesome show. We have a bunch of special guests coming out. John Madoff from Zion 80, Jessica Lurie on the horns, an amazing beatboxer named Say What from New Mexico. Um, the show will be opened up by Alana Brody on the baby grand piano. Um, and we're filming the whole thing for a live recording and video. So come be part of the action. It'll be an awesome show. Darshan and Alana Brody, March 21st. Doors at 6.30 p.m. Music starts 7 p.m. at Drome in the East Village. Awesome. And uh, 
anything going on with the uh, what's the ruthless cosmopolitans? Yeah. Ruthless and, cosmopolitans right now are making demos. Oh, cool. Yep. Okay. We're making demos and doing some scratch track recording to kind of figure out what we want to do with this stuff. And hopefully there'll be some performances soon and we want to figure out how to start recording this stuff for real and putting out some antagonistic music video art and stuff. Love it. Okay, yeah. man. <laughs> it was so good to have you. Thank Thanks you so a lot. much. Thank you for listening to Hivria Cast. I'm Aladna Harai. If you'd like to hear more and read more of our work, you can follow us by going to hivria.com or facebook.com slash hivriamag. We've been recording at the Kalal Studios in New York City, and the music that you're hearing is Voice Lessons by Darshan. Thank you so much. We look forward to seeing and hearing from you again. Yeah.